We are back after a bit of a hiatus this summer. Lots of weddings, vacations. (sighs) One of those vacations, we got to see a pretty solid movie. Hence the, uh, the backgrounds. I sincerely hope you are uh, watching this and not just listening to it, but <laughs> not because of our faces. Uh, we have some legendary backgrounds. Yeah, so today we're going to be talking about uh, one of the summer's, summer's belters, uh, Oppenheimer, which was released uh, late July. Nolan and I had the opportunity to see it uh, while on vacation um, at the beach. And yeah, let's uh, let's leap into it. Where do we want to begin? Uh, I, I mean, in general, like the reason we picked this movie rather than the litany of other big summer blockbusters is because we already did an episode on Christopher Nolan. So uh, felt like a logical inclusion that we would just sort of add the next one on. Um, it, it was a success. The movie made money. Uh, we're going to do a Barbie review, I presume, at some point, since the two were released concurrently and uh, geniuses in the Hollywood marketing departments came up with Barbenheimer, the double feature, to get people to go to the theaters, um, which they did. A lot of people watched both movies. I have not yet seen Barbie. I will. But uh, yeah, as a preface, I guess we can sort of just go through the plot. The plot's pretty straightforward. Um all things considered for a Christopher Nolan movie. Uh, he's never made a biopic before. He's never made anything that is this real before, you know, based on historic fact. Yeah, um, the closest that he came was with Dunkirk, and that obviously had a lot of fiction folded into it. Yeah, and that is so much more of a, like, feeling-based immersive war experience. Yes. Um, than it is anything else because the narrative is basically irrelevant i mean similar to this like you know you know that they're going to successfully make uh atom bombs and nuclear weapons uh even though the first hour and a half is dedicated to like can we even do this is it theoretically possible um right yeah the the movie does not hinge upon the tension of like huh i wonder if they figured it out (laughs) Yeah, it's more so playing off of the audience's fascination, not only with the subject matter, but um, how these characters worked together to build the bomb. Obviously, everything centering around Oppenheimer, who's the director of the Los Alamos project or Los Alamos lab. Um, so, yeah, the the narrative, uh, because Nolan can't just tell a straightforward story, the narrative still splits into pieces. Um, so it spends its time oscillated between three moments in history. One, like the main, main plot is based on Oppenheimer, um, sort of growing up, being interested in physics and starting the Los Alamos project to outrace Germany to build nuclear weapons. Um, the other two plots are a senate committee hearing for a guy named levi strauss played by robert downey jr and a security clearance re-upping uh i don't even know what you would call it other than like a security clearance meeting uh where it's like one of yeah it's it's like a security clearance review that's essentially It's not even a hearing, but it's more, yeah, it's more of a review, I guess. But it's treated kind of like a, uh, like a hearing or, um, like it, like it, it basically feels like Oppenheimer's on trial, but he's not technically on trial. Um, yeah. Yeah, So these, these three plots sort of all happen at the same time where, the that main plot of them coming up with the theoretical physics to actually build the bomb obviously culminates in the trinity test where they detonate um the first atomic bomb out in the desert and then we slowly get the 
conclusion of the security clearance meeting and the Senate confirmation meeting. Um, and a lot of the plot is focused on characters, so it's not really anything regarding the story. It's more about the way that the characters change over time. So uh, the relationship between Oppenheimer and his wife and his mistress, uh, Oppenheimer and Einstein, Oppenheimer and Strauss, uh, and then Oppenheimer and like all of his subordinates on the actual nuclear project. Yeah. Which is just a, a, a this movie has a huge cast of famous actors who are all playing famous physicists and scientists. Um, yeah, I don't know where you want to go from, from here. I don't really want to just like list out all of the actors and the scientists they play, but. Um, no, we can kind of just break it down uh, plot wise by mentioning them when they show up, I guess. Gotcha. Yeah, so it starts with Oppenheimer being like a student and he's shown to be bad in the lab. So he's not good at actually practical physics. He's very gifted at theoretical physics. Um, he wants to see a lecture by Niels Bohr, played by Kenneth Branagh. So obviously um, Killian Murphy is Oppenheimer. Uh, mm -hmm. yeah so he meets Niels Bohr who's just another famous sci scientist um, Oppenheimer gets his PhD and then he meets with a bunch of other famous scientists and eventually ends up uh, moving to America where he teaches at Berkeley in California um, there's a bunch of plots with him being a communist or like being a lot friends with a lot of communists and he's it's kind of unclear if he is where he's sympathetic to some of their views and this all comes up later because obviously after world war ii being communist was being an enemy um plays into one of the larger themes of the movie where um sort of diagnosing our uh, america's complicated relationship with its own heroes in the way that someone like Oppenheimer can save the day by creating a bomb that ends the worst war. And then five years later, he's an enemy of the state whose security clearance is revoked and his name is dragged through the mud. Yeah, it definitely, um, it definitely shows America as big, big, good, good country that does whatever it can because or yeah, whatever it wants, because the ends justify the means, because we gotta beat them Nazis, beat the baddies. Yeah, and there there are a few discussions between some of the scientists about like not only if we can do this, but should we do this? Um, where there are not that many scientists pushing back because the majority of the ones working at the Los Alamos, New Mexico um, facilities are most interested in pure scientific progress. Um, and it's not until they actually build the bomb and then it's immediately like like a month later, they're bombing Japan. And it's at that point where the scientists go, oh, shit. We probably should have uh, had some more questions about what we were doing. Yeah, and they they treat um, sort of the big uh government bureaucrats is just like we're we're gonna ha make this happen we don't really care what you say you guys are just pawns we'll ask you questions but it doesn't really matter what you say we're gonna do this mm -hmm. it's kind of how it feels to me at least especially um who is it truman that's the president yeah well, they don't even show Truman until after the bombs have been dropped. Right, right. But he, his presence is within the movie and the decisions while he's not, without actually having him there. Right. Instead, it's like his uh, secretary of uh, state, I think. 
mm-hmm. like talks with Oppenheimer and the Matt Damon who plays like a general who's sort of in charge of um, Oppenheimer and the Los Alamos people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And they're like recommending which Japanese city should be bombed, which is a great scene. Yeah. One of the few scenes in the movie that doesn't have music. Uh, pretty much the entire movie has music, like a score just over it, which um, I don't mind at all. I, I thought the music was still pretty much in the background. Uh, I just know that's sort of a uh, critique some have of Christopher Nolan's movies. but That um, there's too much music or not enough? Or... The music is too loud that you can't hear what people say. I don't know what to tell you. Like that's, that's it, a universal derision of Nolan's films. Is that no, this... no, I know. It's just uh, that's like complaining that the roller coaster made sound. Like, the, yeah, there was too much rickety sound on this old wooden roller coaster. It kind of like ruined my experience, my exhilaration. Oh, it didn't like scare you because it's made of wood and added to the fear factor of like holy shit, I'm going to die. This is made out of wood. <clears throat> like, just pay attention. <laughs> or watch the movie several times. I, I don't know what to tell you. Maybe stop looking at your phone. Listen to what they're saying. Wait, who's that character again? Put your phone away and just watch the movie. <laughs> this movie did a great job of um, giving people the capability of keeping track of characters. I would describe myself as someone who has trouble uh, keeping track of characters throughout um, convoluted plots. And this one, while having different time or different moments in time, uh, actually makes it like very intelligible. Like it's very easy to process, I would say. Um, Even just watching it like the first time through, like especially the way the characters say each other's names over and over again, they kind of like remind the audience like, oh yeah, that's this guy or that's this person. And there's a lot of close-ups on their face, so it's kind of difficult to forget who's who. So that's like an, an added feature. Um, um, I'm trying to think how, like what movie to compare that to, but like Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy has a convoluted plot and a lot of different characters and you mm. can get kind of like bogged down and like, wait a second, who the hell is this person again? <laughs> Where are they popping up and why are they doing this? Yeah, that movie has like a third or a quarter of the characters as this one and the plot is still more complicated. Yeah, so I'm saying like the this movie while handling complications and a lot of characters does it like very well it makes it easy to digest while not while not making you feel like an elementary uh kid yeah i was a little surprised at how untechnical they got with regards to explaining like nu- the difference between nuclear fission or fusion um like they never really bog you down with the details of the physics um, which is a restraint that I am surprised they took in favor of highlighting characters because uh, Christopher Nolan is like infamous for his exposition dumps. And so I was expecting there to be like there's all these scenes where the physicists are together and they're doing stuff, but they like remove most of the scientific or mathematical talk in favor of something streamlined to get what the characters are about. So yeah, I, I was expecting them to just be like, well, you didn't do the paradox math and, the, you know, just some long equation written on the board where they explain what each variable in the equation is. And ha- and so thank God they didn't do any of that. Yeah, especially given his track record of interstellar tenant, even inception, where there's just like Primarily large three, yeah, large exposition that. Just it makes sure every T and I is is correct for the audience. And like so some professor can't be like, well, actually, it wouldn't work because of this. And Nolan's like, no, 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 it, it would. It would because of that. Uh, I, I did see some critiques where people were like, well, I wish they had 
spent more time actually explaining how the bomb works. And you're like, I don't really know if we needed to know that. The movie isn't called Atomic Bombenheimer. Like, it's it's Oppenheimer. Yeah, it's based on the guy, not on his work specifically. Yeah, exactly. So I think, think, like you said, the restraint used there um, was correct because... That would have would have lost a lot of audience members, I think. Yeah. So, but I mean, really, the only thing we haven't gone through plot-wise that we can just get through here and then sort of dive into more of a review of the movie rather than description is, like, after all of the like after the bomb is dropped, basically, um, chronologically, but not the way the movie presents it. Oppenheimer is hired by uh, Levi Strauss. Um, I forget which school it is that he works for, but he hires him as like the chair of the physics department. And like the first day that they meet, Einstein is like hanging out by some pond and Oppenheimer goes up and says something to him. And Einstein like walks away very coldly Mm. and passes Strauss, who thinks that Oppenheimer said something to him to make him hate Strauss. Yeah. Which sets up the main conflict of the movie, which is Strauss's resentment of Oppenheimer. And there's another hearing that happens that is shown very briefly over and over again, where Oppenheimer basically um, dismisses all of Strauss's ideas before some sort of Senate committee. Um, Something about like exporting radio isotopes yeah it's Um, the it's the exporting of isotopes because uh you can basically do that like isotopes are exported every day through beer like through things that are like carbonated and and whatnot i believe was the the joke that he makes like you can get isotopes from like so many different products it's not it's not really like a like a secret uh, element or something. Yeah, and so he, I mean, ultimately the point of it is that after the bomb is dropped, Oppenheimer becomes very opposed to nuclear proliferation and instead wants there to be research and wants to work with the Soviet Union, whereas the entire American military machine has basically already taken it out of Oppenheimer and out of the scientists' hands and is pushing for proliferation and violence and leading us down the dark path to the Cold War. Um, But that setup with Strauss leads Strauss to then exert his political influence on um, some arm of the military to eliminate Oppenheimer's security clearance so that he can't work on nuclear anymore and won't be able to make public statements about nuclear energy or nuclear bombs. Um, yeah, they so, don't they don't assassinate his character, but they but they try to assassinate his character by revoking his uh, security clearance and and trying to like basically besmirch his reputation uh, therein by suggesting that he um, is connected to communists and has always had communist leanings. Right. That's another yeah. element to it. Exactly. And so during the I mean, all of this stuff is happening in the movie continuously, like it all sort of plays into the end. Um, But he has people that worked with him both sort of back him up during the security clearance meeting and like lie and say that he's an enemy of the state um, in a certain way. I guess they don't call him an enemy of the state. They just question whether or not he should have a security clearance because they think that he's unstable or, you know, they of questionable morality. Yeah, they don't paint him as an enemy of the state, but they paint him as like someone who could be an enemy of the state or there's a possibility yeah. of it, which is another sort of lesson in uh, uh, like narrative adjustment or like writing a narrative or manipulating a narrative rather mm-hmm. is just like, even if you just suggest that someone may have something like just saying may then lends people to be like, Oh, so they're communists. And you're like, no, I never said they're communists, but they, they could be, could be bad because of all yeah. these things. And that's, that's what they do. And it's also an unfair um, situation that they put uh, Oppenheimer, which you later find out was directed by someone 
Right, by Strauss. Yeah, exactly. Strauss basically uses a bunch of other people to gather, uh, like create a narrative against Oppenheimer to make it seem like he's questionable. Um, so his security clearance is revoked. Like ultimately the meetings, it, it was a kangaroo court from the beginning. Like the people mm-hmm. overseeing the hearing were always going to vote against Oppenheimer anyway. Yes. Um, so you find out that all of the work Oppenheimer was doing to clear his name was for nothing regardless. Um, and this is all in the background of Strauss trying to be uh, confirmed as the Secretary of Commerce in the future. Mm-hmm. And he thinks he has it in the bag. And then at like the last second, they call in a scientist that he knew was going to testify that they assumed didn't like Oppenheimer. And then the guy is just like, yeah, no, I really like Oppenheimer. He's a great man and a great scientist. Uh, fuck this Strauss guy. He's he's a goddamn liar. Uh, he sucks. And yeah. then the Senate is like, oh, oh, all right. Yeah, you're not confirmed. Yeah. And then and then that guy also reveals Rami Malik reveals that uh, Strauss basically put together this completely stacked um, whatever you want to call it hearing yeah. um, against Oppenheimer from the beginning. And I'm pretty sure Malik. Who was he under? He was like a scientist under some guy, but they were trying to like pay Oppenheimer to do something. They wanted him to sign a petition that explicitly said that they shouldn't use nuclear bombs. That's right. That's right. And And he wouldn't. Correct. Because that would mean the end of his career. Yeah, he wouldn't do that, but he does eventually believe in that. So then Malik essentially is a, He's able to ascertain that he's against using um, atomic force. So then he's like very honorable man. Yeah, but I mean, Hill also helped. So Malik plays uh, David Hill. Okay. And Hill is involved in the research that leads to the bomb anyway. Right, right. Um, but yeah, he like Hill could have taken a personal slight because there's that one scene where Oppenheimer like slaps the clipboard with the petition mm-hmm. out of his hand. But Hill never stoops to the lows that Strauss does. He right. knows that he's overworked and that ultimately he believes in the same sort of morality that he does. Mm-hmm. Um, and so at, at the end of the movie, basically, uh, we we see that Strauss's like all of Strauss's moves don't work. And that ultimately the goal of the movie is to paint Oppenheimer not in a good light, but in a more objective light, showing what he was going through the whole time showing his interests and his fears and his regrets and that Strauss is caught up in some petty vendetta that like continues to circle back around to the fact that he thinks he said something to Einstein um, all those years ago that made him hate him. And so we keep seeing this scene with him and Einstein, but we don't hear what he says to him. And then finally, that's the very end of the movie is that Einstein is like, oh, yes, it's all very good. You did good work and and yada, yada. And Oppenheimer's like, no, I'm pretty sure I ended the world and I'm depressed. And Einstein is just like, oh, God. Oh, like, it just breaks him and he walks away. And uh, what's his name? Um, the one guy who's with Strauss the entire movie. Yeah, uh, yeah, I know who you're talking about. Han Solo. Yes, yes. Uh like says to him, I bet they weren't even talking about you that day. And that's when you see it. And that, I mean, it's a great end of the movie, especially because, um, what's his name? Tom Conti, who plays Einstein, mm-hmm. just delivers this like amazing performance. It's only in four scenes of the movie, like a minute of runtime where he just has some softness about him. Um, that plays really well off of the like depressed apathy. Um, that yeah. Tony Murphy has come to embody. Yeah. And you, from the outset you aren't sure if they're like rivals because essentially oppenheimer um in history actually like started coming up with theories that were uh discongruent with some of einstein's theories so like they they weren't they, they were like somewhat at odds with each other scientifically um so you're not like the whole movie, you're like really not sure what they said to each other. And then it's just 
both of them are just extremely concerned with humanity and just like shit we're gonna kill ourselves and yeah that's how the movie ends just by showing a whole bunch of missiles going off and cutting through clouds and ending humanity as we know it yeah i again highlighting um oppenheimer's greatest fear and a fear that we all inevitably have hence Mm -hmm. the uh Doctor Strange Love background you had going there. Yeah, I decided to cut it because the um movement was was really just just like exploding my brain. So I was trying to replace it, but it doesn't want to replace it with a real picture. It just wants the GIF. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I mean we'll eventually talk about this image behind me in a future episode. Um but it is it is relevant to the discussion. Uh, I just looked from his expression, thought and thought of uh, thought of American Psycho the face just over and over again. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, but but going back to um, RDJ's character Strauss kind of getting caught up on like this one thing that he misinterprets because he he basically just makes the whole movie like the whole story about himself or tries to and that's like the whole point of his character is like if you get so caught up in yourself and you're like wow how are people treating me like i can't believe this person like dislikes me or hates me or is trying to like fuck me over if you have those thoughts and like build resentment you're gonna just start ruining (laughs) other people's careers because of it and ruining other people's lives revoking security clearances specifically because of that Mm -hmm. and then ultimately karmically it comes back and bites you in the ass and keeps you from becoming uh the um what was it secretary of commerce Mm -hmm. yeah yeah so uh i mean pitting strauss against oppenheimer oppenheimer is someone who is very much founded in, you know, research and science and is weighing the world's problems and trying to figure them out. And, you know, Strauss is just some government bureaucrat who just wants to keep getting more power. Yeah, but there's that uh, there's a scene with um, Edward Teller, who is another one of the scientists played by Benny Safdie. Um, mm-hmm. And he says something to him like, you haven't actually practiced any sort of physics or science in like a decade since you've been doing this. You've just become a bureaucrat. Right, right. Um, and that relationship between Teller and him is explored very fully throughout the movie where Teller is a fascinating character, um, played really well by Benny Safdie. Because um, he's one of the guys that like turns on him in the security clearance meeting. Um and kind of stopped helping him work on the bomb because Teller didn't believe in the bomb, but then later on it becomes in favor of them. Um, sort of a guy who was just swinging in the wind politically and went whichever way he felt the wind was blowing. Yeah, and then becomes Strauss's guy because he yeah. he's like, well, Strauss is going to win, and he's he's the guy that can pull the strings for me. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. that's the way he does it. And then Emily Blunt is just not about him at all just completely holds uh holds resentment towards him mm-hmm. um but oppenheimer some, doesn't which to his yeah, credit is you know supposed it, to show what kind of a person he is exactly the the latter quarter of the movie he's very quiet he's actually very silent i don't know that he really even says all that much it's mostly people talking about him or about what yeah. he did and other things and there's a lot of Cillian Murphy kind of just sitting and looking off and not meeting people's eyes. Uh, actually, it's Killian Murphy. Killian Murphy is looking off. Sorry. Uh, no, I, I didn't even realize I said that. Uh, he's just looking off and not meeting people's eyes. And obviously, like, you can feel the moral weight of everything, like, on him. And if you can't feel that, then you just missed the movie. Um, and the whole point of... <laughs> like his character and his his troubling um ideas because he's he's grappling with these things but um yeah all all the situations with him where he's just really clearly bothered by what he has done and what he's set up um 
is great because all the other characters are talking with him like why are you doing this like emily blunt his wife is like what the hell like why don't you fight back why are you just like laying down uh and taking this and it's it's great because it shows his morality without commenting and being like no this guy's a hero right there's no moral um cast of of judgment on him which i i think is very very strong um something else that i wanted to comment on is i was really uh curious to see how they would treat the dropping of the bomb right in um whether they would show like you know the after effects um if they would show what what happened um in japan but i i felt like they they did it justice from oppenheimer's perspective right because if they had showed um exactly what happened in japan it would it would be um it'd kind of break the movie from being about oppenheimer right and then it would be more about like the the bomb and the after effects um so i'm I'm glad that they they didn't only because it it would be non-congruent with oppenheimer's story and everything and the way that they did show those effects actually was pretty creative right with the like town hall speech that he was giving and then he basically was having visions of the people in the crowd the one in particular he's like stepping over a body but it's like in ash and his foot gets stuck in the ashen body um there are like people crying and huddling with each other and screams um that that was obviously a very powerful uh moment and, and really shows a window into his mind and his soul about what he's really grappling with and the stuff that people probably who just see his words and stuff are just like oh this guy's bad or this guy made the bomb whatever <clears throat> sorry that was a lot, I covered a lot of different things in that <clears throat> uh yeah yeah uh the the i'm trying to think where you started that thought uh i did i just realized oh starting starting with like why they didn't show the bombs yeah i I am not recording this on voice recorder either so there's that so we're just going with video fuck it we'll do it live yep uh yes i mean it it that's the whole the whole crux of the framing of the movie is through the characters and mm-hmm. so you see their reaction to everything rather than seeing the thing itself like there's a huge build up to the trinity test but we only see the the implosion and the after effect horrific nuclear cloud of the implosion for 10 15 seconds it doesn't dwell on that it's more interested in showing the interest these scientists have or Oppenheimer's reaction to it um, than the spectacle of it itself. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's kind of like finishing a dystopian novel and getting to the end and you're like, that's it? What the hell? And then you think about it more and it's it's understated um, as opposed to, like you know, zooming in on the, the bomb and everything. Um, and yeah, everything keeps coming back to Oppenheimer and the scientists and their response to the bomb. It's not the the movie is not about the bomb. <clears throat> Primarily, I I should say. No, I mean the implication of what you're left to think about is like how are we going to use this fire that the American Prometheus just gave us? Mm-hmm. Um uh, the answer is we've not used it well, but at least we haven't been like bombing Russia or anything. Uh, Not yet. But yeah, overall, uh, I thought it was an excellent movie. I mean, the restraint that Christopher Nolan used not to turn it into spectacle um, is impressive. I was thoroughly entertained. I could see why some people might not be. Um, in in general, I would say that it it is near perfect in its execution there are a handful of gripes i have like just small complaints here or there 
Um, there's one, it's really well edited. Like mm-hmm. the pacing is brilliant. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's one bad cut, like two thirds of the way through the movie. Is it a fade to black? Yeah. Yeah. Like it's I his remember. wife. It's Emily Blunt is like putting or taking the clothes off the line and yep. it just cuts to black. It fades yep. to black for no reason. Mm-hmm. And then it jumps back into the movie pretending it wasn't like it was like a mistake. It was it, like, well, how did we miss? It did really not f- just have more music to play. It really felt like there was supposed to be something in between. Like, I don't I don't know if if. Yeah, that slipped by the editor. I doubt it did, and I doubt it slipped by Nolan, but yeah. It was probably some technical thing where, I mean, if you see the film prints for the IMAX showing, it's like 12 feet in (laughs) diameter. So it was probably something where they're like, we can't even have, you know, yeah 15 more seconds of film spliced in, so you got to cut it somewhere. And they were like, fuck it, just right here's a good spot. It's yeah. shortly after the bomb goes off. Uh, right. No, sure, no one will notice. I'm sure there will be some type of release where that's fixed um, in some way. But um, yeah, like my my response after seeing it, like I, I think it was like a half hour after seeing it, like a way too quick response to it was I was talking with Anna and she was like, oh, how's the movie? How was the movie? And I, I was like, it, it was fine. Like, I thought it was it was good. It was a good movie. Um. And then like later on that day, I was thinking about it more and you and I talked a little bit about it. But my like quick take, like after watching it was there were there were like so many scenes of people just like sitting around talking. And I wasn't sure how I felt about it Um, because obviously like it is by no means an action movie. Right. You and I both watched um, (laughs) Mission Impossible Fallout last night. separately we weren't even together we just watched it at the same night uh and yeah like even even though it is a bunch of people in suits around talking about things uh it's you're very interested in it like they they treat it in such a way um that the ramifications are obviously really big but then also trying to figure out how the rest of the movie is going to unfold um it's I wouldn't say it's at a breakneck speed, but the editing, especially in the last quarter, like it is climactic despite it not building up to another bomb dropping. Um, yeah, it's it's still pretty fast paced. Um, and they're they're able to I, I'm still not really sure how he is able to do this, but he's able to make people. <laughs> talking about something that's actually historical and and factual um pretty interesting obviously people will critique here and there oh well you this wasn't actually this or he never actually did that or or whatnot i'm sure there are some liberties that were taken um but not to the point of a lot of biopics that actually brings up a good point that i wanted to make on the the topic of biopics is that I'm not a, the biggest fan of biopics, so when I found out that Christopher Nolan was coming out with one, I was very skeptical. I know you were too. Of oh, the trailer made the movie look awful. Yeah, of the the state that he's in as well, um, whether or not he's in the decline, and thank God he's definitely not um, in decline. Uh, but biopics, large by and large, for me, they boil down to two uh, categories. One is their extremely sensationalized and not factual at all where you're like all right that's that definitely didn't happen that way like this is this is simply just dramatic and you're trying to make it into something that it wasn't or they are like so caught up in the details and bogged down where you can't keep track of the story or you don't care about the characters because there's it's just so many people involved so many facts and it's like almost reading a textbook like a really, really dry textbook. And you're like, what the hell? Like, I would rather read a textbook at this point. <laughs> like, I don't I don't want to watch this on screen. So it's it's usually one of two things. And and this was neither. Um, at times, it, it was a lot of people talking, like I said. But I found myself, like, actually caught up in, with what they're saying and, like, paying attention to what they're saying, where um, 
in other biopics or other moments in in film i will just tune it out and just be like i i wasn't listening because i couldn't listen anymore (laughs) yeah i mean biopics tend to be some of the least interesting movies made where i would say only a handful of directors i like have made successful ones martin scorsese comes to mind for making numerous biopics um silence is pretty good Raging Bull, Silence, Goodfellas, Wolf of Wall Street. Those are all biopics. Yeah. They just yeah. don't feel like it because they emphasize something else. And I remarked to you that this movie had a lot of moments that felt like a Scorsese movie. Yeah. Like a lot of the same camera work and editing styles to keep things constantly moving. Lots of pans, lots of zooms, lots of huge ensemble crowds with the camera following a character through. And that all helps with the long runtime, something that Scorsese's never had trouble doing. Um, yeah, it does. It it does have fewer hallmarks of a Nolan movie than some of his other ones, which I think actually is a service to the movie. But you're right. Like, it, it does feel like more of a Scorsese movie in a lot of ways than like like it, it feels like it could have been done by a different director than nolan other than the the narrative part um, and the treatment of character in a lot of ways like I the would stuff say visually speaking that's sort of true but it still has a lot of the hallmarks of his other work the psychological aspect where it's it's showing stuff that's directly happening in his head is absolutely Nolan. Like spot yeah, that's on. cut straight from Memento, Insomnia, yeah. Batman Begins. Like exactly. The cut of the bats or Insomnia. The cut of the, the, the camera's spinning. And yeah. Like, the cut, the cut. And yeah, but like all showing the, like particles and stuff, the stuff like string theory. Well, that and also like Florence Pugh as well. Um, when his wife is sitting in on the hearing or whatever. And she is seeing her like on uh, Oppenheimer, but it's from it's like from Oppenheimer's perspective of what she's probably imagining. Yeah, but then they also they like cut to the other side and it's as if it's from um, Rob, the uh, attorney that's like, you know, arguing he shouldn't have the security clearance like he sees it, too. Yeah, Yeah, almost as if to say that. Uh, Emily Blunt is ashamed of it, whereas Jason Clark sees it as like this disgusting pervert. Yeah, this commie bastard shouldn't have no. And yet, yeah, that I I assumed that um, some people would be upset with that scene for whatever reason, because nudity always upsets somebody. Um, but in general, <laughs> I thought that scene was like the perfect inclusion because it shows three different characters in the same scenes perspective on this moment where for Oppenheimer, it seems like that's always going through his head. Like while he's constantly thinking about theoretical physics, he's also like, mm, sex. Yes. I could be thinking about that. And... <laughs> <laughs> but for, but for his wife, it's like this shameful thing. And then for the uh, uh, attorney, it's, you know, screw this guy. He's a dangerous communist pervert. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh yeah, I can I I can definitely see people I can definitely see people getting upset by that scene, but it's so jarring at the time that it's it's perfect to include there cuz it, it jars you out of just like men sitting around a table talking and smoking and and you're like, "Holy shit, what what is going on here?" And obviously Florence Pugh uh, is great in it. Um, she's great in everything that I've seen her in. Yeah. Another another understated performance in a lot of ways. Oh, I mean, all the actors put in a, a great performance in this movie. Um, like the only exceptions really to where I saw the actor and not the character would have been Josh Peck and Jack Quaid. Where it was like, <laughs> oh, right. Josh Peck helped build the bomb. Right. Yes, that's right. <laughs> Whereas yeah. like a lot of these other people, like the the attention to detail, not only that the actors took in portraying them, but the costuming and makeup yes. departments did is flawless. Like that's why I said Benny Benny Safdie was amazing because he looks just like Edward Teller. Yeah, his um, face. Did they change? Like 
did they actually fatten up his face or does he look they that definitely, way? That ha- I think had CGI. Okay. Cause like, I know he kind of looks that way and I wasn't sure if something happened to him, but I was like, that's, that's either makeup or, or CG. He, he probably looked... put on some weight too. Right. Right. For, for the role. Either for the movie or in general. Um, but like Jason Clark was excellent as uh, Roger Robb. Yeah. Um, and he looked like him. Most of the scientists look like like Josh Hartnett was really good for yeah. both being like kind of a hard ass, but also sympathetic. Josh Hartnett was really good. Um, and he looks just like Lawrence. Uh, the guy that plays Fuchs looks just like Fuchs. Fermi <laughs> looked just like Fermi. Um, Fermi's character was great when the bomb is dropping and he's like, yeah, I just, I, I'm, I'm not going to be able to sit in here and just look at it through this. Mm-hmm. I, I got to see this shit for my own eyes. Yeah. Matt, Matthew Modine looked just like the guy. I mean, Gary Oldman was a weird, that part with, with Truman was a little odd, but it was still a great scene. That was Gary Oldman. Yeah. Oh, yep. what? Mm-hmm. Gary Oldman was Truman. Oh my God! Yeah, uh, I was I was gonna say another gripe I had with this. There were there were two other complaints I had. Um, they're really minor things uh, compared to everything else that I would gush about. Like I think it's really well written. Obviously, super well edited. Um, the cinematography is consistent. I wouldn't say it's revelatory or you know magnificent or anything, but it always works. Um, the the two parts. There's the part where at the beginning where Florence Pugh and Oppenheimer are having sex and she pulls out the uh, <laughs> Agavita or whatever. And she's like, read me this this line in Sanskrit. And he's like, oh, I am destroyer. We're become I'm become death. And I was like, ah, oh, oh, why would you? Yeah, that being... like literally turning the line into a meme in a movie that is otherwise completely serious just seemed like a strange decision it was it was like they couldn't figure out how to introduce that line before so they're like let's cram this in here while he's cramming it in this woman and like it's also weird too because he delivers the line and is like i'm gonna destroy the world and also probably gonna destroy your life like i have that power it was uh, yeah there's a lot so there's a lot happening in there with power dynamics, sex, and the dropping of bombs and the Agavita. <laughs> but putting that in there was weird. Yeah, I agree. The only the only other part I did not like is at the end of the movie. Um, uh, what's his name? Aldrich? Alden Ehrenreich. Huh? Alden Caleb Ehrenreich. Ehrenreich. All right, I'm just the guy that have... plays Han Solo. Okay, got it. Yeah, thanks. Han Solo is uh, Iron Man's aide in the movie. <laughs> and he keeps telling, you know, they're having all these back and forths. Um, and at some point, you know, Iron Man is not confirmed to be a cabinet member. And Han Solo is like, guess who one of the people was who voted against you? John F. Kennedy. And then they like look at the like everybody just stares right at the camera like, do you remember him? (laughs) I was like, why? Why are you like pointing this out? Like, just in case you didn't know, JFK was on the right side of history. Oh, it felt more like they were like building to a conspiracy. Oh, God, that was that was more that was more the way I interpreted it. Like, wink, wink. Yeah, we all know who really got Kennedy. (laughs) <laughs> that's what it felt like to me. Oh, that that's actually a good point. I do know Christopher Nolan's a big fan of uh, JFK. Speaking of biopics that stretch the truth, that Oliver Stone JFK movie. Mm-hmm. Actually, oh, very was... similar movie to this one. Very uh, true. In a lot of ways. Kevin Costner is on the right side of history. No, no magic bullets here. <clears throat> So yeah, we I we haven't really discussed the themes of the movie that in depth, but I think it covers a ton of ground and it covers all of it pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't all necessarily connect into one idea, like there's not one universal idea. I think, I think that's that, actually a strength. Oh, exactly, yeah. 
because it highlights the complication of the subject matter and the interconnected lives that these people led. Um, and also that a, a, a human being um, as complicated as Oppenheimer, you know, is not just one theme. Yeah, like, like exactly. For, for anyone to be like, oh, it, it didn't have like one one set uh, like keystone that we can like build it on. Like, well, that's not what a human being is. Human beings are very complicated. They are multifaceted at any moment in time. They could respond differently because of whatever. Um, yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Sorry, I kind yeah, of cut you off uh, thematically. No, no, that's fine. I mean, that, yeah, it, it, it discusses a lot of themes. I mean, the role of history, the spitefulness of man, um, sort of that same idea that the prestige talks about of um, man's reach exceeding his grasp, um, mm -hmm. the complication between technology and humanity, loss of humanity, duty to your family, duty to your country. Um, all this stuff uh, is blended really well. And I mean, Killian Murphy is able to embody the complication of this constantly while still being a character that you can look at and feel something towards, um, whether it's pity or admiration or uh, occasionally resentment, because sometimes he's just a bastard. Mm -hmm. He just comes across as an egotist and you're like, all right, Oppenheimer. But yeah, uh, I guess the last thing I kind of want to talk about is what this movie means for Christopher Nolan. Um, or at least in the way that I view his career so far. Because um, obviously it's very different than any of his other stuff. You mentioned Dunkirk being more similar just because that's rooted in history. Um, oh, I was, I was that, saying that's like the close that's like the closest. Yeah. Um, visually and like story wise, I guess. Mm. I would say they're like inverses of each other. Yeah, because Dunkirk is totally rooted in historical fact that takes a lot of fictitious liberties in order to be sensational, whereas this is um, a subjective view of his historic fact that tries to take as few liberties as possible and removes sensationalism from the narrative to get directly at emotion, which I think is something Dunkirk ultimately lacks is true characters who you feel something towards possibly because harry styles is not a good leading man um yeah i can't see the top of those words ah uh, damn yeah i just i just see world a eh? well it's i think it's why didn't you tell the world oh why didn't you say to tell the world yes yeah I'm pretty sure that's what it is. Um, Somehow it got backwards. Ah, <laughs> uh, sorry, I didn't mean to derail you. Oh, no, you're good. Uh, yeah, it. I I am excited because I felt that Tenant was Nolan moving in the wrong direction. So even though I really liked that movie, um, it felt like he was sort of treading water rather than evolving. Uh, and I would argue the same is true for Dunkirk because it highlighted more of his flaws as a filmmaker and a storyteller than it showed his strengths. Because I already knew he was able to do something that in a way lacked a certain style but was still very cinematic in scope. Um, where Dunkirk is spectacle but not necessarily entertainment. So it's thrilling but not totally engaging. It's like action without action in a way like there are set pieces but and you know they're nail biting but it's nothing like that mission impossible movie we just watched like there's no part of it where you're like oh is tom cruise gonna be able to do climb the whole building there's nothing like that in in dunkirk so i, I certainly think this is uh one of nolan's better films um definitely not his best uh but it feels no. like he's he got closer to he did something he hadn't done before, which was some really immaculate character work. Um, 
I would probably place this top six, maybe top five. Maybe top five. Um, Which is quite an achievement, uh, given his track record. Yeah. Yeah, I would say it's probably fighting for the four spot for me. Four, possibly three. I don't I think I'll rewatch this with the consistency I do some of the other ones. So, like, I think in a lot of ways it's better than Inception and Batman Begins. Yeah, but I was going to mo- say, like, I, I remember you saying that you thought it was better than Inception. Um, which I would I would probably agree with. But, like, I watched Batman Begins again this week. Like, that movie yeah. is literally infinitely rewatchable. Inception, infinitely rewatchable. This movie... Yeah is not going to be infinitely yeah. watchable. Yeah. And that that brings up a great point that like rewatchability definitely is a small a small category for a movie, but it's not I wouldn't say rewatchability is like a category for how great a movie is. It's more no. like how much like like for our favorites list, right, that we are going to release this year. That would be a category for favorites, but it wouldn't be for how great a movie is, mm. which I think a lot of people get bogged down in of like, oh, well, I can't watch that movie again. So it's only like this good. Um, which is some, which is like an idea also that I find myself having to break out of as well of like, well, I wouldn't watch that movie that often, but it's a really good movie. <clears throat> Yeah, yeah. I I mean, we watched Jaws last week. At the beach. Probably like the eighth or ninth time I've seen the movie. Uh, I finished up work one day this week and came out and Jaws was on. So I watched the last 30 minutes of it again. Oh, my God. Because it's just a movie where I'm awestruck. It's just perfectly directed. Like, it's perfectly directed, shot, edited, and acted. Um pretty much through and through um but yeah i don't want to get too distracted uh from what we're talking about here and going to talking about jaws uh unfortunately there's no similarities between oppenheimer and jaws uh but yeah i don't know if you if you have anything else to say uh i think i've gushed Um, over this this movie enough no we we mentioned uh prometheus and sort of the Promethean ethic um, a number of times. I mean, that that is the, technically the book that it's based off of, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great, great title, accurate title. That's yeah. The man who gave us a sort of fire, both literally and figuratively. Yeah, and I think, I think that that myth of Prometheus gets at the heart of a lot of uh, Christopher Nolan's movies as well which is this double-edged sword of you having all this time or you having this strength or you having this character trait of yourself, which can either help you out and help those around you out, or it can just lead to you self-destructing and destroying those around you. Um, So I really liked that Christopher Nolan took on the mantle of this movie and was able to weave his own uh use his own way of storytelling to to bring that about for everyone else because he he is i would say unrivaled in displaying that for people like he he's unrivaled in in bringing that to the to the the cinematic screen just man just man's like man's difficulty with his gifts yeah yeah not only the dangers of the obsessive unyielding mind but our ability to create what destroys us exactly exactly both technologically and of our own interpersonal relationships yep. which both happened to i mean oppenheimer wasn't like killed by a nuclear bomb but you know what i mean yeah yeah, I, I guess that was the other thing uh, I wanted to mention before was how not just how well the actors 
uh, emote or portray a character or anything, but where a lot of these actors are in their career that they would all show up here um, and sort of play together well as an ensemble with the biggest surprise being honestly Robert Downey Jr. Yes, I was uh, I was just going to say that. Because like, like Matt Damon, Matt that Damon, could have been anybody. Exactly. That I was could have say, been. Like Matt Damon being there, he was in Interstellar. So it's just Matt Damon. He's gotta, way better in Interstellar. You gotta you gotta throw him in. Uh, Emily Blunt is is at like the top of her career. Yeah, um, she's really right the now. only unrealistic part of her portrayal is that Kitty Oppenheimer was actually rather hideous. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, that's also true for a lot of the actors in in like biopics, though. In general, a lot of the I'm I'm not like if you go go to the Wikipedia page for Oppenheimer and just look at the I character. have I have like, they're so similar. Look, I mean the no the no Benny no safty one is disturbing how well they got that one, but no no but I'm saying in biopics like the actors that are chosen for like a role are like sensational, like Ken doll or, or Barbie versions of the character they're playing. Yes. Typically. Yes. Uh, I mean the Wolf of wall street, for instance, <laughs> like that, uh, whatever his yeah. name is. Uh, yeah. Does not, does not look like Leonardo DiCaprio, obviously. Jordan Belfort. No, yeah. they're not similar looking. He's a very scary lizard man. Uh, I will say this movie is going to be nominated for an unending amount of awards mm-hmm. come Oscar season. I, Killian Murphy will 100% I, be nominated and Downey Jr. will 100% be nominated. Yeah, I think Killian Murphy will win. Probably. Oh, I don't, I don't Who, think he'll win. Who's going to beat him? Somebody in some other stupid stuffy drama that comes out at the end of the year. Gotcha. The Oscar, I don't know. Oscar bait. I, don't, I haven't looked too far ahead at uh some argo movie big (laughs) this is the argo of the of the year just not it just wasn't released in october right uh i think downey jr will probably win for supporting actor because they've been waiting for a good time to um get him an award yeah throw one his way because i don't think he's actually won one before i don't think he has Uh, I know he's definitely won Golden Globe. I think he was nominated for an Oscar for Chaplin, but didn't win. Um, I think he was also nominated for Tropic Thunder, which he also didn't win. (laughs) Which, to be fair, do you know who he lost to? No. Heath Ledger. So there's there's a connection there, but... um, like he j- as great as he is in that movie, you just you can't beat why so serious. Yeah, just not not really fair. He, he didn't commit to the role enough to die. No, he was Thunder. on the opposite end of his career. He had just gotten through the I almost died from drugs stage. Right, of his life. right. He beat that. And, you know, but yeah, he it's just impressive for him to have played goddamn Iron Man for 15 years. And then he comes into this movie and is like not charismatic. Like he's a very yeah. straightforward, sort of traditional fifties man mm-hmm. um, who's spiteful and vengeful. And There's still a bit of that charisma in there. Like it's hard for Downey Jr. to turn that off entirely. But well, it's also great with his character because he like you're at the beginning of the movie. You're like, who the hell is this guy? He's not really in a lot of the movie and he's saying some things like clearly he's kind of important but then he doesn't really say much because obviously the beginning of the movie is more about oppenheimer and then like towards the end you're like oh wow strauss is a fucking monster jesus yeah Yeah. uh yeah maybe killian murphy will win we'll see i mean i won't watch the oscars either way but it'd be nice uh nice for nolan to win best director, which I know he won't because they just. They treat they treat him like a a meme. I think I think it's probably because he doesn't do one for me, one for you. He does all for me. Yeah. Yeah. He just did. He did the one for me, one for you for a long time. Memento was his. Then he had to do insomnia. Batman Begins was one for you. Prestige is one for me. Dark Knight, one for you. 
Inception, one for me. Interstellar, one for me. Rises, one for you. Dunkirk, one for me. Tenet, one for me. Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer actually feels like a one for you. This feels like the studio movie. I guess. Um, Hence the huge cast. Right. Uh, It's just, you know, it doesn't feel like a movie that's promoting Hollywood or a Hollywood agenda. Beyond the fact that it is anti-McCarthy and anti, you know, anti-communism, like almost a little too pro-communism. The movie? Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is a bit a bit communistic. Kind of hard not to when the communists were not the villains back then. And it was <laughs> actually just the pseudo fascist American regime. But. Mm hmm. Um enough about that commie gobbledygook i i have nothing more to say now we're good see you next time don't blow up the world yeehaw